for uh, early October. Happy October, everyone. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Gloomhaven, as usual. Hi, my name is Bruce Garrick, and I'm not playing Through the Ages. Mm. <laughs> and this is Asan Lopez, and I am not playing Tapestry, although I did get my copy, so I will be playing it tonight. And how does it look? Like, did you do your unboxing and punch all the counters and all that oh, stuff? Oh, yeah, and, I, and, yeah, and I, I recorded it and I posted it. Now, I, now it looks good. <laughs> um, um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to reserve my judgment. Um, oh, you know, it's just a with, Stonemaier game. Yeah, with Stonemaier games, you know, I, I, have, I have generally pretty mixed feelings about them. Um, but I have been curious about Tapestry since he announced it. So, yeah. Ta- Tapestry is in the same category as Black Angel for me. And that is, mm-hmm. those are games that when I heard about them, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be on that day one. But then as I looked into them more and saw other people's copies of them and heard other people talk about them, uh, my enthusiasm completely waned. Uh, and now, uh, unless I hear otherwise, I'm not interested. So, Hassan, you'll have to keep us posted. Yeah, th- this is one of those where you know how like you, you close your eyes and ears when, you, when the previews come on at the movie theater? I think mm-hmm. that, yeah. This is one of those games that it might have behooved us to do that. I think there was just so much yelling and talking about it and so much controversy as there usually is around Stonemaier games that it's going to kind of taint the experience for people, right. um, which is maybe unfair to the designer, but it is what it is. Right, right. Well, um, before we actually talk about what we are playing, uh, not Tapestry yet, uh, Hassan, I don't... I, I think some people might lose sight of this fact if they listen to the podcast uh, spottily, but you actually have made board games before. You've made one I really like called Clockwork Wars. You've actually got one. Is it shipping? Is it is it arrived and going out to backers now, or what's the status on the current one? Yeah, so <clears throat> Maniacal is is shipping probably within the next few weeks. So this, this, this month or early November is going to be pretty exciting for me. I have... I have my copy. Um, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah. look at you lording it over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's off the boats in China, from China, and it's it's uh, uh, it's in the distribution channels at this point. Very, very soon. So okay. once it hits once it hits the distribution centers, it they they're pretty efficient about getting it out to people uh, very rapidly. So that's going to be happening within the next few weeks, I would guess. Yeah. Now, given the long time that it takes from hey, I've finished the design, I've got the supporters, okay, let's put it into production. You haven't just been sitting on your hands this whole time. You've had something else going. Can you tell us a bit about the status of that and what it is? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I mean, in part, I haven't done a ton of actual board gaming the past few weeks because I've been putting my head down and trying to hammer away at this new design. Mm-hmm. But I, I've been working basically on a... A, a drafting city building game with an apocalyptic theme for the past few years and i finally whipped it into serviceable shape you know this year and took it to origins and i think i mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that i was shopping it around to different publishers and i got a bite from gray fox games and signed a contract with them and that was great so mm-hmm. at this point I'm kind of working on my continual sort of design process with it because it's, I would say it's still in an unfinished state, although it's 
feeling pretty good to me. And then next year, um, and this gives people a sense of just how long and drawn out the process is, next year Gray Fox will become more involved in the project and formally start what's known as development. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if people care about the difference between design and development, but... Oh, the, yes. You know, development's just—it's just such an important part of the process. And from my standpoint as a designer, I like working with a developer, which is usually like a specific person assigned to the project who it approaches it with different eyes and a different mindset, but also with the publisher's more practical goals in mind, like how much is this going to cost and what kind of components are we going to have and all this stuff. And I really like that process of working with this other person to make the game move from good to really good. Um, and my previous experience on the development side of things has been less than satisfying. I'll just say that. Like, I think your experience as a developer, you mean? No, my, my ex so my experience working with developers, I, um, I think that companies, publishers, and I don't want to call out anyone in particular, but I think in general, development in the current sort of, you know, world of board game design and publishing is, is one of the weakest aspects of the process. I think um, there's a lot of signing projects and then rushing them to Kickstarter mm -hmm. and rushing them out, but there's not enough development going on. Right. Yeah, it, development is amazingly is amazingly important. I was I've been involved in several playtest projects for for different uh, games where uh, it, the effect of a good developer was so obvious, and just the difference between a project that had a strong developer who had a good vision, who knew what the designer wanted, but also how to sort of tweak it and pare it down and tell the designer, no, we're not putting that in. That's just going to screw this part up and it's going to make this, it's going to take the focus away from this. And a developer who's just like, yeah, okay, whatever, just uh, get, you know, make it and make, yep. put me, does it fit in the box? Yeah, okay, then we'll we'll go with it. I mean, it's, they, they just produce two, in my mind, two completely different uh, outcomes. Yeah, it's, it's, it really, it's not like it's a new career, but it's its a career that we need more great people in it. You know, right. I think that we're seeing this blossoming of indie, you know, designers popping mm -hmm. up and people mm -hmm. with lots of great ideas and creative yeah. ideas. And I've, I'll be the first to say that I've jumped on that bandwagon. But when it comes to like just what you're describing, Bruce, like a developer who really knows what they're doing and can knows how to work with a designer to make that vision become something truly great. I think it's a rarity in our in our world. Yep. I, I certainly have been keenly aware of a game that I sit down and I, I kind of appreciate the design and what they're going for. But even in playing through maybe a couple of times, I, I see these, these hitching points or these things that really should have been addressed that weren't addressed that I imagine are, are an element of, of the weak development part of that particular game's process where somebody should have noticed this, somebody should have fixed this. If it's something that catches me on my first or second playthrough, why didn't someone tell the designer, look, this, this isn't working out? Uh, and I imagine that's what a game that has a designer who's just attached to certain mechanics and certain ways of doing things, who loses an impartial perspective on what he's doing after a certain amount of time. I imagine that's what a, a board game looks like that has a, a designer without the benefit of a strong developer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're you're on your own for the next few months until Gray Fox <laughs> comes on board. Uh, what are you What are you struggling with right now? Like, what's uh, wh what's the current process look like in terms of putting this into a solid design that you're going to start working with a developer for? 
Right. So I will say it's it is satisfying for me this this part of the process where it's just kind of on me to try to make the game as good as possible, knowing that somebody likes it already. I think that's that's a nice place to be. Um, but the, the the basic premise of the game is that you're building a cult compound, kind of like your own Jonestown or Waco oh. Branch Davidian complex, right? So um, when I say a city builder, I, I mean it in a very constrained sense. So you're building a cult compound. You're the founder of an apocalyptic cult. And the I guess the shtick in the game is that you're actually right about the apocalypse. So you've been <laughs> talking about it and, and pe some people are listening. And so it's actually going to happen in four years. Um, so which, that's basically four game rounds. And at that point, an apocalypse hits and the the various compounds are going to be basically attacked by this process so not only are you trying to build your compound um, as uh, to make it sort of an efficient economic engine and a vp generating machine but you also have to protect it from impending doom and a lot of the information about doomsday is hidden but one of the unique resources in the game is that you can generate something called foresight which um, allows you to uncover hidden information about what's coming and better prepare for it. It might tell you that certain resources are going to be useful to hoard, for example. Um, like, hey, you need to be hoarding guns. And you would then have that information, but other players wouldn't. So it would allow you to develop a better compound. Um, and I would say that at this point... Um, the, the, the what I'm mostly banging my head against, not surprisingly, is balance, right? So sure. there's, you know, over 120 unique structures um, in the game that you can add into your compound. And it's this is a game that, that you know, you, you, you draft and you build. So it's got kind of that Seven Wonders-inspired um, city-building thing that a number of games have, have copied. And I really, I actually really love drafting as a mechanic, and I like city-building as a genre. So it was always, that was kind of my goal, is to, to make a game like that that had a unique theme. But, you know, when you're dealing with all these different structures that you can build in your compound, um, you do have to worry about balance. And I will, I will say that that one one thing I hate about balance, I have strong feelings about balance, but one thing I hate about it is when it's too mathematical. And I know we've talked about this before. Like, for example, if you have a building in your compound that costs $5 and it produces one firearm, and then there's another building that costs $10 and it produces two firearms, like, to me, that's just <laughs> fucking boring, right? Like, right. I, I don't. I mean, and that's that's sure. so sure. I have like a giant Excel spreadsheet, but I think sometimes designers get too, especially on the on the euro end of the spectrum, get too obsessed with making the balance so perfect between their various cards that it saps all of the sort of thematic um, excitement out of the game, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, when I'm designing something like this that I want to be a thematic experience, I will tend to. Um, really from the from the outset make sure that that there's a theme present that helps me design each of my cards so you know i i i name my cards very early on and i make a big list of like are oh, what are all the crazy types of buildings and structures people could potentially put into a cult compound and then once i have that list that that names those names and and those images will actually help me design the mechanics around all those various structures 
And that definitely pushes me away from perfect balance into people potentially bitching later on about, oh, that I can't believe that card does that. But I actually much prefer that than like a, a perfectly mathematically balanced set of, of, of cards. Well, you also have the benefit, too, when, when it's a game with something like drafting. Uh, if there's a building that gives you one gun for $5, but then another building that gives you uh, two guns for $8... Everybody right. has a chance to get the two guns for eight dollars building. Like it, right. it's not like uh, it, it's who goes through the opportunity cost of getting that other building. Uh, you know, maybe passing up something else. But like drafting, uh, studying Emerald does this. Like studying Emerald, wildly unbalanced cards. But when that card flips up, anybody can go for it. Uh, so it's you can you can introduce a lot of un- imbalance as long as everybody has equal access to it has the opportunity to grab it if it's not something like where you're just blindly drawing a card and oh look i got the card that gives me two guns for eight dollars um, <laughs> right nobody else got it so I, I i yeah like certain mechanics definitely lend themselves to unbalance than others uh, right a fair unbalance yeah yeah and, and another part of this for me has been um adding in just the right number of of variables to the game so you know we we often talk about these as as so-called verbs in a game like how many you know actions you could take in the game or what what's the the number of resources that exist in the game mm-hmm. um you know in a role-playing game you'd call them attributes like what are what's the list of attributes we're going to have in this game how many is too many how many is too few and if you've got too few then then it is really easy to fall into the trap of things being too easily mathematical like it's too easy for a player to look at a card and be like oh that's clearly underpowered compared to that other card but if you've got a ton of variables in the game then it becomes impossible for players to parse out whether a card's even good or not they're like i I can't figure it out right so you're kind of you're i'm at least for me i'm since i'm typically trying to design what i would call mid midweight type games um, i want there to be just the right number of, of variables in the game Right. And and then that helps me then work on the, the balance of the structures. Now, two quick questions before we uh, move on. Well, uh, I don't think you've mentioned, is there a working title for this? Um, right now, we, we're calling it Prophets of Doom, and okay. we'll see whether that sticks okay. or not. Like You're not that. doing any playful stuff like Prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S. <laughs> uh, no, but people have suggested that to me. So. <laughs> oh, ouch. Uh, and then second of all, uh, is this like a lighthearted take, like like maniacal, or is there? Can you have Kool Aid and will a senator maybe come and investigate and you murder him before right. he leaves, or like what? What's your tone with this? Right. No, that's that's good question. So, um, the t- right now, like there's cards in the game that let you do like mass suicide and stuff like that. So that right now it's pretty dark. But what I'm hoping will occur is that with the right artistry and graphic design it will become dark humor like and um and the names of the structures and the name of the various cults in the game are i do lean a little bit in that maniacal direction of trying to be dark humor because otherwise i think the game will just be offensive to people like if it literally was a jonestown simulator i don't think people would want to buy it right so Right, right. All right. So, uh, prophets of doom. Until we hear otherwise, that's what we're going to refer to it as. <laughs> that's and that's that's a fine title, by the way. Yeah. Sure. As long as yeah. you don't go with the P R O F I T S. Don't don't let anyone tell you to do that. Yeah. If that happens, don't blame me for it. Okay. So. <laughs> It'll be out of your hands. Right. Fair enough. 
Uh, all right, well, Hassan, before we get to what you're playing, I want to uh, bring the new fella in here. Well, not a new fella. He's been here before. But, mm. uh, Garrick, since we have so few opportunities to talk to you, why don't you start us out and tell us what game you're playing uh, instead of – I forgot what you said you're not playing. Well, I'm not playing a lot of things, but I'm specifically not playing Through the Ages because I'm done with that game. Right, um, right. Did you but... did you participate in the digital online tournament or – uh, no, I I played it a couple of years ago actually. I don't know why everybody's getting so uh, so um, ramped well, they just up about released, it now. They they released new leader like a little DLC for it. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done with that game. I it's it fun while it lasted, but I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. But uh, I uh, I think that that game represents sort of a uh, a quest um, in a an attempt to get sort of a holy grail. There are several holy grails, I think, in board gaming. Hassan can tell me if, if, from a designer's perspective if this rings true or not. But uh, people want sort of a midway, um, midway 4X, space 4X. People want sort of a civilization-type game where you go through, uh, you know, the ages of history and uh, but don't but want it to be uh, playable in a reasonable amount of time. And I mm-hmm. think that that's where people kind of get caught up i mean there was the um, um was the history of the world is one of them i think that tried to do this um and uh you know there, there are different games that try to do all these things but the one that i that sort of came up uh in my thinking was uh a game called uh have you guys ever played civilization or advanced civilization that's the avalon hill game i have yes yeah. yes so that game is what I would call a quintessential 1980s game. Mm. Uh, I mean, Ouch. It's, it's as 1980s <laughs> as it gets. It has a whole bunch of things that I don't think you could ever get away with doing uh, today. First of all, it takes 12 hours to play. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> so that's never going to happen. I, and and am- amazingly, um, even though it takes 12 hours to play, I say I've, I've played probably several dozen games of it. Um, we we played it a lot in college, as a matter of fact, um, because you know what do you have in college? You have a bunch of people who uh, have the same interests and they have almost infinite free time uh, if they want it. So we played it a lot, but it has a lot of things that I think are really, uh, really broken. There's uh, the game takes, like I said, 12 hours, requires seven people really. I mean, you can play it with six, but the six game, I think, six player yeah. game is not that great. Um, the um, there is there's really no catch-up mechanic. So once you start falling behind, you're kind of done. Mm-hmm. Um, you really are not um, really a viable player. And the, as the game goes on, you know, into hour six, hour eight, it's very clear who the couple people are who are probably going to win. And then it's just a matter of just determining who's going to uh, who's going to win the game. And you just uh, sort of become um, I don't know a kingmaker. Um, it's very uh, it's very confrontational. You uh, really have to have a lot of conflict, and that conflict can be very detrimental to people. And uh, it can be, I mean, it's not a it's not a happy, touchy feely game. I mean, just one person's uh, gain is very often another person's direct severe loss. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a thing I think you could do today. And it's also two games. It's uh, it's a civilization game. That also has this this completely different thing, which is the trading, where you have cards and you have these ten minute you know um, ten minute 
interludes where everybody just trades cards. And, of course, if you happen to be on one of those turns where you got hit by a bunch of calamities and you didn't get uh, – the cards you needed to trade, you can just sit there and do nothing while all these other people are, you know, shouting and saying, oh, you know, who's got three sold? Who's got three sold? I got right. Um, and so it's a really, I mean, it's a really, it can be a punitive experience sometimes. Sure. Uh, and I've certainly been on the, on the receiving end of that punitive experience. So the game that I want to talk about, uh, sort of bearing the lead here, is called Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Ear. I mean, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, the, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> that could be like a – what's that Fantastic Voyage movie where Raquel Welch gets shrunk down into somebody's yeah. body? Yeah, you yeah, definitely right, do right. that. <laughs> yeah, or Snit's Revenge uh, is another one that uh, is inside the body. But in any case, uh, yeah, sorry. Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea, and the Inner Sea is obviously a uh, reference to the Mediterranean. Um, and so before Tom uh, gets all uh, snoring and, and starts, uh, you know, puts a pillow under his head, it's you know, you're, a, you're, yeah, it's another another trading in the Mediterranean. I, I know, yeah. Like. Hey, you terrible. guys are. I don't. I I love. It's as long as ancient Rome isn't uh, prominently featured, I'm totally <laughs> well, on board with like tussling over the Mediterranean. Okay, well, it's got some ancient Rome in there, so but uh, but okay. I mean, it's it's all right. So so so. And I, by the I way, Bruce, I, as I mentioned in the email, I had my eye on this. I was like, yeah. I was I was kind of. Really Really into this and this, the concept of this. So yeah, and then and then the I'm not going to sleep. I'm not taking like a nap. That. So go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Okay. Well, but I mean, it didn't do you? You also said in your email that the, the designer put you off of his own game by playing it or something like that. You saw a video. Well, partly it would be one that I would be worried about. There's only a few people in my group I could press into service. So one of the reasons I would get it would be for the solitaire. And my concern watching a solitaire video was that a lot of the solitaire play was having to decide on behalf of the bot yep. or the AI what the optimal move is. Yep. Uh, and that's not for me. Like the, you, you war gamers will every now and then do this silly thing where you play both sides of a war game, which yeah, I don't understand. People even do that with, with chess. Like, I don't understand. That makes no sense to me. Right. I need an explicit system running an AI when I play a solitaire game. So I was a little bit... Uh, I, I was a little bit leery of this idea that I was going to have to make decisions on behalf of the AI to my own detriment as a single-player yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, so that's true. Um, <clears throat> I think that somebody may be – you may be able to – I mean it's obviously I'm not going to do it, but somebody could make a more definitive bot for the game. I mean I think the game is not um, designed – to be uh, to be a uh, definitive sort of you know this game will play itself and there's only one way it's going to play uh, given a certain sort of circumstances so um, I don't think that was the goal but the but the thing about the game is now this is this is why I brought up civilization why it's, uh, I have such a long lead in is that the game really takes a whole bunch of mechanics from civilization and uh, two thousand and and fifteens them mm. right. So it takes the game civilization and puts it in sort of a context of, of things that modern gamers would want or would be familiar with or comfortable with and tries to build on that. So um, I, first of all, it's from a designer. It's from t it's, uh, two designers, uh, Christian – I think it's Christian uh, – sorry, Christian. Christopher Vorderbrugge and Mark McLaughlin. Now, Mark McLaughlin – is uh, a war game designer. He's designed a, uh, he designed actually probably one of the best Napoleonic war games there is called War and Peace. It's an Avalon Hill title. Um, he also designed another Napoleonic war game that a lot of people like. I'm not a big fan, but uh, it's okay called the Napoleonic Wars. That's out from GMT. Um, 
he has a design called Holy Roman Empire, and uh, he, he just has a whole bunch of different designs. That and his his games tend to be um, sort of fast and loose. A lot of weird things can happen in his games, and he has a developer uh, who that he works with all the time, whose name is Fred Schachter. Now, I hate to be a um, a sort of a negative Nancy on this, but Fred, Mark McLaughlin and Fred Schachter designed what I think is one of the worst games, <laughs> uh, worst products that I've ever really come across called Hitler's Reich. Uh, I think it came out last year, 2018. Uh, it, I mean, it was just this half-baked game that, that didn't really, I didn't think it worked, but also it just was, it was clearly re- released in some kind of bizarre state of development. And that's, Hassan, I, I think that is a, uh, a really um, great example of the thing that you were talking about, which is how development can be uh, sort of a make or break for a game, right? I mean, the, 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 the game is all about Hitler's Reich. That is, is all about drawing cards and playing cards. And it, and in the entire rulebook, it never tells you when you draw the cards. It's not in there. And so, if you were to play the game the way it is described, you would eventually run out of cards and not be able to play. And there's, and it's actually non-trivial whether you draw them at the end of your turn or at the end of your card play when you refresh your. I mean, it. it there, I mean, it, it, the game clearly just kind of, I don't know, somebody just was like, oh, we got to publish this. And so they sent the file uh, and, you know, they've, they've got different fonts clearly where they were like still like rewording rules. And it's ugh. plus the game mechanics itself are, themselves are terrible. Um, so with all that preface, I think ancient civilizations, the inner sea might not be bad. And <laughs> it it seems like it's working out now. A caveat to everybody who's listening um, who's already writing me angry emails about uh, my Hitler's Reich uh, opinions. Um, I've only played the solitaire. The, the same solitaire that Tom rightly correctly says is not designed with an absolute ironclad um, bot mechanic where, you know, well, I'm going to put two guys here. Oh, no, I shouldn't. I, nope, that's not the rule. I have to put two guys there and one guy there. Right. Um, you have to sort of kind of, kind of, whatever, um, you have to improvise. You have to. We have to wing it, but that's okay. I did it for the for literally to see if the game worked, and I think it does. And and the the rulebook also is much less complicated than the Hitler's Reich rulebook. And it seems, I mean, from my initial playthrough, there weren't any things that I really was. You know, there was there was there were no hard stops. There were no crashes to desktop. Um, I kind of got how the whole game plays, and. What it is is just this. This it's a two, two uh, hard um, mounted maps. It's it's kind of long and narrow uh, of the Mediterranean, and it's area based. You have land areas and you have sea areas, and you do this really civilization kind of mechanic with it, which is that you have little discs, and you those represent your population, and you uh, spread them out, and you just move them around, and you uh, as you um, as you build out, you get uh, you have to determine whether you want to uh, bring discs back and put them in your supply, and then for every certain type of thing that you have, you get to take stuff from your supply and put it in your ready box, and then you can uh, you know re uh, you know re-expand. You can uh, you the number of discs that you have is a um, representation of the the size of your settlement, so you can have. Uh, there, you know, there there are sort of um, camps that are one disc. There are settlements that are two discs, and then there are the cities that are three discs. Mm. And 
the the game is really I mean it's a very simple uh, a simple game. I mean I have the uh, I, I brought I kept the rules book out here just to to go through it. The the rule book um, only I mean the entire rule book is um, 24 pages, which sounds like a ton of pages, but the actual number the rules themselves um, there are like four pages of setup. There's some terms. If you want to really read like how how you play the game, that's from pages 16 to page uh, 20. Sorry, because those are rules. Uh, no, competition page. Yeah, 16 to 21. So you're mm-hmm. really only looking at, you know, six pages of rules. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Bruce, I have a I have a yeah, quick question. So yeah, just looking at it on on BGG. I mean, yes. people are giving it a pretty yeah like they're it's a low weight like it's a two five right which which mm-hmm. sounds like a pretty mellow yep. game rules wise yep. but in terms of playing time there you know it says it looks like it can stretch up to four or five hours still yeah so, i was so, wondering about that yeah. yeah so i'm just wondering like how that jives like so it, is this a game that um you know how much how much is it abstracting in other words like you said that you know civ games are kind of a holy grail and that's certainly true and shrinking down a civ game to a reasonable play time is what everyone wants but sacrifices must be made right so um what are what are the sacrifices that you're seeing in this game and do they work for you well, the sacrifices that they're making, um, and I, I have to say, I did. I wasn't sure whether you were saying that the the five to six hours is is long or short. I mean, <laughs> to me, it's short. Uh, to, I'm sure to a lot of people in the in the gaming hobby, that's an incredibly long time. Um, I'm I'm uh, getting ready tomorrow. I have a friend friend coming over to play uh, a game of Holland 44, and. Uh, we're, we've we've dedicated. We're going to play for about eight hours, and there's, we, I don't think we'll get a quarter of the way through the game. But uh, <laughs> but, but my, I guess what I'm saying is that if you take you've taken you've taken um, uh, the uh, the basic civilization uh, rubric, and you've really I mean you've you've ruthlessly these guys have ruthlessly uh, uh, shortened it. They've they've taken uh, they've taken a whole bunch of stuff out. This is really basically just about placement because the the the, um, the civilization uh, issue is that you have all these different games. You're you're moving units around the the map. You're um, you are trading and then you're buying these these civilization cards, which you know I mean thematic whatever schematic they're they're you know I buy. Uh, arts and literature, and it gives me five points off of democracy, right? I mean, they're just little, they're, they're, it's, it's 1980 stuff. So what the uh, designer designers here, um, Christopher and, and Mark, have done is they've put everything in this giant deck of fate cards. But the fate cards, what they do is they really only, they, they affect the disc mechanic, but that's it, right? So it's, for example... Um, I'm just going to go through a whole bunch of their th- whole bunch of uh, cards here. For example, Warrior Queen. Add one of your discs and one white disc to the com- uh, to this competition. Um, Sunken City. Gain one victory point and one talent. Then choose uh, either place one disc into a deep sea area or place two discs into a shallow sea area. Uh, Sub-Saharan Salt Route. Gain two talents. Then every civilization that occupies at least one area bordering the southern edge of the map gains one talent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 all it, it's I mean those cards could say anything on them right I mean this card that says demagogue I mean who cares I mean it's just a picture <laughs> of a guy and it says you know blah blah but it's just it's all it's it's all not really uh, it's it's not 
there's a, the historicity of this. While there are, um, while there are what I would call, um, you know, th- there are historical civilizations. There's uh, Mycenae. There's Rome. There's uh, Mauritania. Um, all, all these things are all exist in the game, but I, I wouldn't call the game in any way historical. It's just sort of a historically themed game, and and the, and the theming is extremely light. Uh, there's no, there's not a single card in here. Schism. Okay, great. Schism. Select land area. Replace all discs there with an equal number of barbarian discs. Ignore stacking limits in the chosen area until the beginning of the reckoning. I mean, it's just it's all you're all you're doing is you're putting discs all over this map, and then you're sort of just manipulating them. And Tom, I think that you know when you're saying that whether or not this game would be uh, appropriate for your group, mm-hmm. I think ultimately it, it really is. I think that. What this is going to do is it's going to do some analysis paralysis um, uh, shenanigans to, to weaker players who just are going to be afraid to move something or or right. or, or, or uh, conflict with somebody else because there's a lot of there's a lot of moving things into other people's areas and then there's a conflict mechanic which you have to sort of figure out what's going to happen. That was one of the big things in Civilization where um, you had to sort of count you know, the, the weakest civilization always removed first. So you were doing this thing where you're like, okay, well. Uh, I have to put two in there. If I want to reduce one of his cities, then I have to have at least two, and so he's going to put an extra one in there. So when I remove, and he removes, and I remove, and then the C stays. So there's all this little competition things. That mechanic remains in ancient civilizations of the inner sea, um, where people just, when you have a conflict, you just start removing discs uh, individually, and then you you sort of resolve the conflict according to certain uh, certain conditions. Mm-hmm. But the game really is just Move your guys, get benefits from you know. There's this commerce thing where you get uh, benefits from from cohabitating uh, areas with other with other civilizations. It helps you uh, get stuff out of your supply into your ready box so that you can you know move those things around and, and expand. So you want to be next to people, but you also want to kind of take their territory. There's a but but ultimately it's a disc placement game. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Area control. It's an area control game with some with a big deck of cards and some and some events that come up in the middle of the Tom, I know you love random events. Um, so there's there's a there's a, a deck of uh, well the de- the fate deck has a whole bunch of cards, but there's there's seven random event cards, which go anywhere from uh, you know southern raiders. The player with the fewest VP selects a land area on the southern edge of the map. Place four every discs there and four into every adjacent land area. So just kind of like calamity type things, right. and uh, and uh, you know those things happen. And then there's one other thing about the game that um, that is interesting is that you can build wonders, and that's the kind of whoops I just dropped a wonder on the floor because I was going to pull them up here to look at them. Um, there there are things that um, are you know they're sort of generic I mean again there's not much historicity to this I mean there's the so what have I got I got a mausoleum I got a great pyramid um, I've got a uh, great library grand gardens uh, there's a stairway to heaven um, you know just things that are whatever it's there and you just and you build them and you get victory points for these um, uh, at the end of the game but uh, you can also cause those things to be uh, targets for other civilizations. So, man, I don't know. The thing about it is it seems like this would be best with seven players. And I think that's why you have that, that problem because, I mean, there, 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 are, um, there are versions. There, there's scenarios for, for anywhere from one to seven. But I, 
I don't know. I, I have a feeling that I, if I really wanted to play this game, I'd want to play with as many players as possible. And I think that that's what's taking – that's what bumps that time. A game that has five pages of rules is still taking six mm-hmm. hours to play because you've mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. seven players. I mean, how how do you how do you make a short game for seven players? Well, either have them all interact or make the, make the game really short like uh, – Oh, seven players. Gosh, I can't even think of one that would be. Right. Comp- I, I'm. I'm just gonna throw this out randomly. Have you Have you played Mare Nostrum at all? No, I have not. Yeah, I mean this. This just feels. I mean, I have not played this, obviously, but it it sounds similar to that in the level of abstraction that you're describing, and and even like what you just said in terms of oh, it's gonna play best kind of with all the with all the factions out there because then that's gonna create the most interesting set of conflicts and negotiations and trades which is really the the beating heart of a civ game right is that balance between wanting to kick somebody's ass but also maybe be nice to them and get some stuff out of it right Mm -hmm. Um, right right well that that, i mean that's that's i think the i think this this probably becomes much less interesting as a two-player sort of competitive calculation well i you know i put these guys here and i need to get three next turn i need to get four to to get these four areas and there's a lot you know that kind of thing uh doesn't uh doesn't work well uh if you only have one thing pushing back at you which is that opponent right Mm -hmm. and doesn't it also for fewer players do that thing where it it closes off parts of the map like you can only use these territories oh yeah yeah that's that's i mean that's a that's a that's once again the um the uh, civilization uh, aspect there, where the Civ had the uh, the expansion, where they had the Western map. I think that you could play eight, uh, and then um, you could play the five player, but you had to take civilizations out. I mean, there's yeah, you you the, the it's a really difficult balance to get between the oh, I want to have the sweep of history and the well, you know, I I don't want to have the sweep of of eight hours of you know, yep. stomach rumbling while I'm waiting for this thing to end so I can go get dinner. I mean, okay. there's a it, it's it's a tough question to solve. I'm glad that I'm not being held to some uh, you know nobody's holding a gun to my head making solve it because I don't <laughs> think I could. Um, but I I'm I'm really curious. I mean, this is this is a game where I feel like I'm going to want to round up the troops and see if people want to. I mean, we might not get seven, but you know, let's try to get a bunch of people together, and let's say, you know, I'll I'll have them at my house, and we'll, you know, hey, come on over on a Saturday and come in the morning, and we'll play this thing until we're sick of it, and we'll see what we think. I mean, it it's it's it, the the solitaire game that I played, by the way, which is um, a solitaire scenario called Fall of Rome, where you're playing the Eastern and Western Roman empires, and the Goths, the Visigoths, and the the Persians are trying to invade you, and and it's just sort of this bot that just keeps expanding, expanding, and and it keeps getting more guys, and you're trying to figure out where, you know, where you want to sort of push back, and where you realize you just don't have the the strength to to push them back, so you got to sort of relinquish that. Um, but you have um, you have sort of these these gold, you have cities where there's gold that you don't want to give up because it's sort of your imperial riches. So, um, but I, I can see how. Um, based on that, I, I think that it's a game I would want to to play further, or as opposed to uh, some other games where I read the rules and I think, you know, this is just this is not going to be any fun. I, I'm 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 optimistic about this. I wonder if that sweep of history thing, though, lends itself better to an abstraction like Through the Ages, rather than this typical war game approach of a map and territory control and uh, spreading out over a specific geography. 
Because um, I'm thinking also of a game called Nations. Do you know Nations? I don't know that one either. So Nations also is another good one. It's like Through the Ages, but uh, it's a lot very more abstracted. Similar. Yeah, exactly, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's very Euro right approach to a civilization <laughs> game. But with really specific cards though that do. But but yeah, like Through the Ages, it's. Uh, there's there's abstract mechanics, but then all of the things that manipulate them are very very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also there well yeah there's this whole theme. There's a ton of different games, uh, but I recently picked up something from WizKids called Empires, and I mm-hmm. can't believe that name was available. Uh, <laughs> and it's just super slick, quick, uh, just have a couple of tokens in front of you and there's no map and there's basically there's like a bidding interaction but it's just it, it it's it's a super light quick hey let's do ancient history uh and see who wins uh kind of game um yeah, so yeah if it, if it doesn't have a map i'm not gonna call it a civ game right so i, I want my Fair map enough. i want my wonders Right. It's kind of like I mean, this is kind of what Bruce is getting at is that there's kind of like this these check boxes you have to tick off. Right. Yeah. And yeah. there's got to be conflict. There's got to be trading. There's got to be one. Well, you have all those in Through the Ages, but you don't have a map. Yeah, but Bruce is tired of Through the Ages. <laughs> OK, right. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, then I, w- I would recommend Nations. Uh, how do you guys not know Nations? Maybe uh, Nations isn't as popular as I thought it was. Uh well, it's got a terrible name for one. But, uh, <laughs> That's another thing. I can't believe that name was available. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the other thing is, you know, the the, the I don't really like. I don't. I, I have to say, first of all, I, I'm I'm going to strongly disagree with you with this idea that that the that having a map is somehow board game or uh, war gamey. I mean, come on. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, just because you have a map. Uh, well, in the sense nothing... that a war game is about, like, a war game is much more explicitly about territory control. Uh, right. And when when you represent that at a at a larger strategic level, w- without abstracting it, I, I think that's just taking this idea that uh, you know war games are about territory control, therefore civilizations are about territory control. I see. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't really care for um, I don't really care for uh, for games that don't have an explicit map when they're trying to when they're really trying hard to. Uh, abstract away that map. I, there are a lot of things about, and this is not the time to talk about them, but, uh, things about Through the Ages that I don't like. Ama- am- amazingly, uh, you know, after playing Through the Ages on d- its dig- th- in its digital form, I can't right. imagine ever playing that in its right. board. I mean, and that's I, a, and that's yeah. an issue with the design. Absolutely, yeah, right. I agree. Right. And I think that I think that uh, uh, ancient uh, civilizations of the inner sea um, that solves that problem right i mean i I can see how i mean i've I've played it solitaire and it's just not that there's not going to be a bunch of i mean i can see how there's going to be a little bit of hey did i move that thing but you got to be a little you got to be a little rigorous on that kind of thing um what am i placing where am i placing it other than that it's just i mean play the card oh that and there's also this this negation thing where somebody can play a card and there's a card that can negate it and then somebody can negate the card that's negating it so there's a there's this there's this back and forth uh uh sort of player interaction there's a lot of player interaction in this game um and there's also uh a specific rule that is the uh is is the is the player catch-up rule which is called the aeneas rule um so Little uh, shout out to Virgil there. 
Um, because like uh, he got his ass kicked and then founded Rome. Founded, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. So he, so you can you can basically take your uh, um, if if you have at least five fewer victory points than everybody else, or you don't have any discs on the map, you can basically um, you can basically start over. Um, <laughs> if you lose the Trojan War, here's your second chance. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but I mean, it, it, so so it's doing. It does all these things. Um, I, I was. It, it was funny. I was. I was. I was sitting up last night, uh, just kind of going through it and thinking I should make a list of all the things that uh, that that this kind of changes about um, civilization. I didn't. I think I've hit on most of them. But I'm sure there are things that other people, maybe people who've played it face to face, can can uh, even you know, comment on it and say um, that there's other stuff. But it's just a really um, it's it, it's a really interesting attempt. I'm not sure, Hassan. You said you were looking at a board game geek. I want, I'm really curious as to what, uh, what what people think about it now. Um, what is, is the is the? I mean, those board game geek scores really don't mean anything other than just being no. uh, being sort of like guides to uh, yeah, seven point one. So it's you know whatever. Uh, it, it's not it's not horribly broken. Um, no, but, the, the, uh, the only critique I've heard, and again, I, I, I always hate to like just repeat things you hear without experiencing mm-hmm. it, but the, the only critique I've heard is that there's not as much, there's maybe not enough of an arc to the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like when, you, when you're talking about three to four hours in a, in a civilization conflict-heavy yep. game, it's like yeah. you want things to feel different at the end than they do at the beginning. And mm-hmm. if people are feeling like, no, I'm just kind of doing the same thing now that I did three hours ago, that's yeah. going to that's gonna hurt people's well, that's very That's very civilization because, I mean, there were there are games where uh, of civilization where uh, I've played where, you know, everybody moves and they've got their, you know, they've got their however many cities they're going to get. They fought over the certain city sites. And you're drawing trade cards based on how many cities you have, and you you are trading. You have your trading strategy based on whether you're getting sort of the sevens, the eights, or the nines. Um, and there's, you know, it's it's all about how many how many uh, of those civilization cards you're able to buy at the end of the at the end of the trading round. Um, so in that sense, uh, you know, mission accomplished. <laughs> you've you've made a you know you've made a civilization alike that has a lot of the same, probably one of the same faults as civilization does. Um, I can see how there's really no there. While you have more guys, um, you don't really have more things. You, you're right. There's no. There's just because I have, uh, you know, four cities doesn't. It's not. I, I'm manipulating different things, but it. But I don't feel, um, you know, particularly uh, different than when I when I had one city or you know six cities. It's 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 all just a matter of. How many discs you get to move from your from your um, what do you call it supply to your to your box and and manipulate administration mm-hmm. phase. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm 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 interested. I'm intrigued. I'm thinking that I'm going to take the heavy step of of telling people get over here and and play this game. So Tom, I think that you should uh, you should. Uh, Bite the bullet and and, and grab it. Spend the four hours being one of seven players. Because it sounds like another game, too. Where, well, I guess if with the Aeneas rule. As long as the Aeneas rule is there for me, I'll play it. Yeah. yeah. So, well, there's a lot. Right. I mean... There's a lot of stuff in there that I think is they're trying to they're trying to solve those problems. So anyway, I've gone on for a long time, but that's where so I So we're going to call this game Akotus. 
ancient Akotis. civilizations of the inner sea. Akotis. All right. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not awkward at all. No. Uh, all right. Well, Hassan, real quickly, tell us then about what you have been playing when you're not busy uh, designing. <laughs> all right. So don't don't make fun of me. But um, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. But we we did pull out Lords of the Waterdeep recently, and so mm -hmm. I was going to bring that up this week. And boy, talk about abstraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's just like adventuring in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I mean, you, you grab that cube and you, uh -huh. you, you turn them in. No, I mean, I think that obviously I have conflicted feelings about Lords of Waterdeep because I understand that at some level it's not an amazing design. And yet, on the other hand, um, and I, I just have to say this, like I, it has been one of the most successful games at, at my gaming table. Like I've, I've probably played it more than, you know, 95% of the games on my shelves mm -hmm. and I, I've used it very successfully to draw new people into the hobby, so to speak. And I don't think I've ever had a bad evening of, of Lords of Waterdeep, especially once we, we got the expansion. Which, I was going to you know, say, yeah, is this with the caveat that you have to have the expansion? To, yeah. I think you do. Yeah, yeah, I think you do. I think that, I mean... Which I, one? I, there are two, aren't there? Well, it's they're both in the same box. So it's, it's Scoundrels of Skullport, and in that box there's basically two expansions that you can use if you want. Undermount um, is one of them, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And the other one... The one that's the better one is the one that has the corruption mechanic, and the corruption mechanic really, um, I think, jacks up the game to a more interesting level. So, yeah, what do, what does the other module add? The other module adds mostly, to be honest with you, just um, you know more intrigue cards. You know those take that cards right. in the game, right. so they're okay. a little bit more of that in the game, and then also like super quests, right? So. Okay. But as as the self declared sort of Lords of Waterdeep apologist on the podcast, um, let, let's 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 do a little quick game. So you guys tell me like your deepest, strongest criticism of Lords of Waterdeep, and I'll try to respond to it. How about that? Uh, I'll go first. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, my my issue with it is that it is too abstract, and uh, this whole idea of uh, wizards are purple and fighters are, are orange. <laughs> It, it becomes a game where you're talking about, okay, I, I'm going to go here, I'm going to take two purple cubes, uh, and then doing a quest is a matter of not, okay, this is a quest for uh, a wizard, a thief, and, and two fighters. Uh, it instead becomes a quest for uh, an orange cube, a black cube, and two purple cubes. <laughs> uh, and to me, that's that's kind of antithetical to the fantasy setting. In a fantasy setting, I, I like things to be... Uh, vivid, you know, it has to be about a specific dragon or an elf or an orc or a, a paladin. Uh, specificity, I think, as to a certain degree, uh, is part and parcel of fantasy. And right. when you abstract that too much, uh, I think it loses a lot. There's a there's a really cool. Um, uh, it's kind of a it's a solitaire game called the Dwarfs. And uh, I don't know who publishes it, but it's got an expansion. Oh, and I think a... I've seen this. I think I know what you're talking about. I've never played it, though. Well, it's yeah. kind of cool in that it's about these dwarf clans trying to hold back a tide of giants, goblins, and I guess orcs. There's three types of monsters. And really, it's an abstract, hey, a bunch of cubes are pouring out onto the map. You've got to push them back. Um, but it's missing a lot of that fantasy 
specificity. So when I play dwarfs, which is a cool system, it really is a matter about, oh, God, there's the big green cubes. And the green cubes are supposed to be giants, but there's no – you know, you could call it that or a green cube and nothing would change. Like there's no reason that the green cubes are giants. Uh, so uh, uh, it reminds me of dwarfs in that it's a decent system. It's just worker placement, I guess. Uh, but – it doesn't have enough specificity for me to really create a cool narrative in my head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay, okay, there's my complaint. What do you got for okay. that? Okay, my response to that is, okay, you're right, first of all. But <laughs> um, but I would say that I, I'd approach it from the other angle, which is that it, it's a it's a worker placement game with an appealing theme. And what I've discovered is that especially people who have a background in Dungeons and Dragons, they really like it. Like, it, I, I don't, I think it works for them. I think that sure. um, reading the flavor text and looking at the art and being like, oh, it's water deep. I remember go visiting that in Baldur's Gate or whatever, right? It, it brings up those conversations mm-hmm. and, um, and at the same time, you're teaching them how to play, you know, baby's first worker placement game. And uh, yeah, obviously, if you if you came to Lords of Waterdeep with a strong background in sophisticated Euro games, you'd be thoroughly disappointed. But if you come to Lords of Waterdeep with this, like, hey, I'm looking for kind of a thematic um, cube pusher, I think it's a really good thematic cube pusher. Okay, so. sure. Mm-hmm. Bruce, what's your objection to Lords of Waterdeep? Let's say you're coming over, Bruce, and I'm like, hey, we're going to play Lords of Waterdeep. <laughs> you're cool with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sure. Well, let me tell you about the time, the first time I played the, the game. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you exactly. This is, this, you got to help me get over this. So this is what happened. I'm the not going to help you, by the way. That's Hassan's job. <laughs> yeah. The first thing, the first quest I had, and I still remember this, was to, in, to research or investigate or something, some Illusk the Illusk orb or the Illusk arch or something like that. And I, so I did it and then that was it. And there was no <laughs> arch and I didn't find out anything that happened with it. And then, and that was, and I all, and I kept asking the guy who owned the game, I said, well, what does it do? What, what, how does, what is my, what did I find out? And he's like, well, you, you, you got like eight picture points. I'm like, no, 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 no. What does the Illusk arch do? And then there were these, there are these things where you have a plot uh, the the plot cards. So the plot cards are obviously a way of, of giving you additional, like changing the goals, I think, as you go through the game. Right? You, you have a plot card, so that also now you can get whatever. If you finish an Arcana quest, then you whatever. And so it was a plot. So I said, so I asked the, after, after the game, I said, okay, so what was, you know, I want you to, to construct a plot for me from that game. And so somebody's like reaches over and it's like, okay, well, and like, no, 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 no. Don't look at the plot cards. You can't. You don't have to rewatch a movie to figure out what the plot was. You just saw the movie. <laughs> what was? What happened? Tell me. And they, of course, couldn't because they had no idea what happened because the plot cards were just something. I mean, it's it's basically the same. It's the same complaint that Tom has. I mean, right. I I just right. I feel like, um, right. you know, it, it's. I I played it mostly uh, on the iOS, and uh, I just there is back. a good digital implementation yeah. of it. I oh, forgot about that. They kind of, I feel like they kind of messed it up a little bit. They, they, oh. they it used to be good, and then they they changed the interface, and it's a little harder to read. Maybe I'm just older, and it, it, my eyes are worse. But um, I don't remember it being this difficult to read when I when I first played it. But it's been eight years uh, since I played it. But um, but I played it mostly on the iOS, and you know, on the iOS, it's like uh, I just I I just pulled it up here. So let's just say you know, uh, quest. Uh, warfare, improve prison security requires, you know, I've played this a million times, I honestly could not tell you 
what the orange cube is. Or they're warriors, the right? Or did I just they're make fighters. That yeah, they're fighters. Yeah. Are they? Which one? Well, then which one's the rogue? Black, Black ones. See, know. even I remember this, and I don't even like the game. <laughs> yeah. I, so I mean, I just can't. I mean, I can't tell. Well, here, here's, yeah. I, again, yeah, you're not wrong, right? But I'll just say this: like, I I think Lords of Waterdeep is also like it's um it's a beer and pretzels game. Like, I think you have to be sitting around a table with a group of people very casually, barely paying attention to the game because it doesn't require that much attention and then drinking and chatting. And I think that one issue I have with iOS and digital versions of, of games, especially like Lords of Waterdeep is that um, it siphons it down to the purely the mechanical aspects of the game, mm-hmm. which then reveal the deficiencies in that design. Right. Um, I think if you strip away the social element of Lords of Waterdeep, it loses a lot of its magic. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very much uh, uh, I I think son I think I'm on on board with you where that kind of the way that the game sort of fa- facilitates a certain uh, social interaction is is important. Um, so I I I I defer to that in terms of like how I think because I just the there's there's nothing about I don't even read the the flavor text on the um, on the cards <laughs> in the iOS version I have no idea what they what they do I just know that things is Arcana I get an extra right. three points for every Arcana thing so fine that's great um, right. but I can see how how playing it in face to face the one thing I want to point out is that the in the iOS version the little like birds and the ships that are that are going across the map are one thousand percent more compelling to me than anything that's actually happening in the game and they're just like the little idle animations where a ship <laughs> keeps going around and what's pissing me off now is that if you put if you use the undermountain expansion there's a giant undermountain that goes over half of this harbor here and i can't see the ships and that's actually pissing me off because the, the ships are more interesting to me than any of this stuff you know who else is mad about that is whatever animator made those ships i know <laughs> tell me there's just i mean uh, it's a, I, I think yeah I think this this argument has probably been had a million times in a million different places and and you either like it or you, I mean I'm not I'm not a um, my D and D land is Greyhawk I don't know right. if I don't think this is Greyhawk no, um, no it's not. so yeah, yeah. I don't have any particular attachment to this plus I think the art is not the art is this this, this terrible kind of um, sort of bad fantasy art that I find off-putting but well i would uh, also like it partly for me i mean because it is it's and i don't mean this to sound as critical as it's going to sound but it is it's just a worker placement game so if i were to sit down to play just a worker placement game with someone i can think of a bunch better and at that level of uh kind of beer and pretzels gateway game i'd rather sit someone down with um and, and hassan this isn't just a plug to your publisher but i'd rather set someone down with champions of midgard for instance right, right. um yeah, yeah. i just yeah. think that it's uh and bruce and i have gone back and forth on this a lot and i'm usually being facetious when i say this but i think that lords of Waterdeep has been thoroughly obsoleted mm-hmm. by uh other worker placement games at its same level of complexity um right. but right. but it sounds like your your group hassan has uh, kind of a nostalgia for it like it's it's a comfort food kind of for you guys, it sounds like. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And in part because I think my my gaming group, in a sense, coalesced around Lords right. of Waterdeep hmm. and um, this and Blood Rage were two of our, the first, you know, games that we really, 
you know, the four of us really were like regularly playing passionately and we're really getting into like before we got into this bad habit of playing a different fucking game every time. We get- <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we, there used we to play- only be a few games to play too. And then exactly. suddenly, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I, along the lines of Bruce being upset about not getting to use his orb of illithid or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, it reminds me of another worker placement game where me and a couple of my friends have a, I would I would grant this is a completely specious complaint, uh, but I still have it. Uh, in Manhattan Project, it's a worker placement game, and you're racing to to make the bomb, a nuclear mm-hmm. weapon. Yep. You never get to blow it up. Yep. Like that. Why? Who? It's like a Chekhov's gun. If you're gonna build a nuclear bomb, you you know you want to be able to shoot it off or fire yep. it. And, and so in Manhattan Project, a bomb is just a it's a bucket of victory points go into, and then they never do anything. Uh, and again, that's that's kind of a goofy thing to complain about because it's not about detonating the bomb; it's about making it, and that's yeah. the abstraction there. But I just remember being taught how to play Manhattan Project and realizing. So wait, I never get to like launch this at the Soviet Union or anything. Uh, I never get to drop this on on, a, on an enemy nation. Um, well, I think that I think that your point is well taken though, because I think that you could, uh, and and this is I think where uh, what year is Lords of the Waterdeep by the way? Two thousand twelve. Oh gosh, so they had plenty of time. I, I was going to say I thought it was like two thousand, uh, where <laughs> where nobody knew anything, and if people were just making stuff like uh, you know uh, whatever the. Tikal and things, but um, I, I think that you could take the Lords of Waterdeep mechanic and and have so one of the things that it's missing is a sort of uh, you know change the change the environment or you know change the 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 milieu with your uh, oh I you know I I did this thing I founded this thief there's like one in there I was just looking through the the um, the digital version there's like you know th- found the something thieves guild. Ooh. Uh, and it's right. like, you know, well, well, and it says something like, you know, after centuries, it's time for the, you know, so-and-so Thieves Guild to arise again in war. I bet that takes a lot of black cubes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's your flavor so, for you, Garrick. Right, right. But, I mean, what you could do is now that that, you know, now you've got a, uh, now you've got a, this other Thieves Guild, and now it's pushing back in different ways, and, like, stuff can change, right? And you've got things are, I don't know, <sighs> The environment should change, and 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 I think games have learned how to do things like that better than they did. Uh, and it's uh, it, there's just there are a lot of things in this game that I feel. I mean, you could redesign it, and I don't know if it would be better. It would be different. It'd be more to my taste, but who cares what my. I taste mean, it, yeah, it's 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 been it's been enormously successful yeah. as is right so right. whatever they did you know peter, mm-hmm. peter Lee and rodney thompson they did yeah. they did the right thing yeah well, i'll tell no, you they, what they did is they got the D license yes yeah. yes yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. well that's true right i mean if this game if this game were the exact same game but were with uh you know generic fantasy world with a lot of like apostrophes and and yeah. and you know diminutus yeah. of ill arth and whatever no i mean would people yeah. care i agree totally yeah. agree yeah, yeah. so so so, all right, there we have a little talk of uh, Prophets of Doom, Akotis, uh, Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea, uh, and Lords of Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Hassan Lopez and Bruce Garrick. We'll be back in two weeks to talk to you guys about more board games. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>